Brothers and sisters, we hear God's word from two scripture readings, New Covenant and then Old Covenant. Our text will be coming from Isaiah chapter 2, which speaks of Mount Zion, Jerusalem. First reading comes from the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, which speaks of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the city where we are gathered in the presence of God with his angels, the presence of whom we are, we are warned here in this text and called to listen to him who speaks. Hebrews chapter 12, be reading verses 18 through 29, and Hebrews 12 verses 18 through 29, hear the word of the Spirit. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose whose words may the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape that we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful For receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Second reading from the Old Covenant, Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 2. Found on page 673. In the Pew Bible. Isaiah chapter 2. Page 673. 73, text I'll be reading, it should be quite familiar. Some of you may recognize that the same words are stated by the prophet Micah in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah and Micah were prophets at the same time, like having two pastors, Reverend Zechveld and Reverend Balsma, both speaking the word of God. And they say the same word of God raises curious questions about revelation. Did God give the exact same word to two prophets individually? Or is it possible that Isaiah quoted Micah? We're not certain. But this we know. This is the word of God for the people of God. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, 
let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn, learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing. People of God, the war in Gaza, the war in Gaza, I don't need to tell any of you about the war, you've seen it in the news, watch videos, horrified by a war, so bloody, so many deaths, and so no possible way to resolve this bloody war. We're thankful for a short moment of peace, the release of hostages, humanitarian aid, but the war is not over. What can we do here in Strathroy as we suck on our peppermints? What can we do about that war? Then we forget that there's still a war going on in Ukraine. The coup d'etat that happened in Niger a few months ago. The military war between the military in Sudan and a paramilitary group that's taken more than 10,000 lives and millions of refugees. Not forgetting the war in Syria, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Somalia, Mali, Yemen. Years of war, thousands of refugees, people starving from death. The tribal wars in eastern Congo that we never read about, tribal wars inflamed by desire for precious metals from which we make our lithium batteries. Wars. What can we do here in Strathroy? But when we think about here in Strathroy, we think about, yeah, well, you know, we do have our own conflicts, don't we? Conflict at work or at school, dispute with the neighbors, Bullying, cyberbullying, maybe conflicts with, between members of the church, tensions and struggles between family members. What can we do? We pray. We pray. We pray for God's peace. We pray that God intervenes where we are so weak and helpless. But there's more. There's more that we can do. As we learn from our text here, the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 2, it's not just prayer, but it's also preaching. It's also peacemaking. From this text, we learn the importance of preaching, of gathering together as God's people to hear the word of God read and preached. But not only gathering together, but also being sent out into the world as 
peacemakers who will make weapons, make weapons into tools for producing food. And how is this possible? Why? Because the Lord our God is preparing a new world where there will be no more war, where there will be no more conflict, no more tension, a world with a justice, a righteousness, and a peace which we cannot imagine, absolutely incredible. And we know it's true because Jesus is upon the throne. Jesus is upon the throne of righteousness and peace. He reigns. He is our Prince of Peace. Brothers and sisters, let's look at the text before us. Like in the first point, to spend some time as we look upon this text and the Lord's peace for his people. First of all, to look at the future glory of Jerusalem that the Lord promises. And then to, to spend a moment on this foretaste, to taste this new Jerusalem that God is preparing for us, this peace which will never end. And finally come back to a few lessons for us about prayer, preaching, and peacemaking. But let's begin with the word of God. Isaiah has a vision, a prophetic vision. And he lays before us what God is preparing for his people, the peace he's preparing for his people. I want you to be awed by what God is doing for his people. Isaiah begins in verse 2, he says, It shall come to pass in the later days. Later days or latter days. The latter days talks about the future. It talks about the end of times. It's prophetic language when we're talking about the end times, the end of redemptive history, the time of the Messiah, when the Savior will come into the world. When he will bring in a new world of perfect righteousness and peace. Theological terms, we're talking about eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times, the end of redemptive history. It's the end of the world, but really the beginning of a new world. A new creation, perfection, paradise, eschatology. So with regard to this eschatology that the prophet Isaiah says, again verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills. We're talking about Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the temple. And it's going to rise up as the greatest mountain, Mount Everest of all the mountains. Nothing's really changed in the world, right? Children, I imagine when you, in the schoolyard, you play uh, King of the Mountain. We used to play King of the Mountain. In Quebec City, we have big mountains. They're made of snow, lots of snow. So you make a big mountain, and the kids get up on top of the mountain. King of the Mountain, it's the one who can stay on top and keep the other ones down. Game of children becomes a game of adults. You go to Toronto, and you see the skyscrapers. Who can build the tallest skyscraper and put the name of their company on top? king of the mountain. And what happens in the economic commercial world happens in the religious world. Places of pilgrimage in the world are on top of mountains, monasteries built on top of mountains. You travel in Quebec province, you come into a village, you'll see the church build on the highest hill in the town. Nothing's changed. The ancient days, the time of Isaiah when he prophesied, Religious places of worship were on the top of the hill. 
You remember this text you read in the Old Testament? The high places. The high places where sacrifices were offered. In ancient culture, it was believed that the high places where the heaven and earth joined, where human beings could somehow reach up to God. So the prophet Isaiah uses this, this human way of thinking to describe what the Lord is going to do. He's going to have his house, his temple, the place of sacrifice, the place of meeting God, and it's going to be at the highest point so that we can have access to God. And it's going to be the highest, the only place. The only place to worship God. The only place for a sacrifice to meet with God. All this is fine, but what's next is kind of crazy. If you turn in your Bibles, next page. All the nations shall flow to it. We're talking like a river, a flowing river, a great river, a huge river that's flowing up the mountain. I don't need to teach you, even children, that water doesn't flow up a mountain. If there's water on a mountain or on a hill, it flows down as a small stream. Isaiah has an image here, a symbol, a picture for us of a huge river going up the mountain to the temple of the Lord. Such is the attraction of God, the the desire for God, that gravity is reversed. And it flows up to the top of the mountain. But even more surprising is what's flowing up. You see, in this text, Isaiah has in the background for himself is the songs of ascent. We read a couple of the Psalms of Ascent earlier in the service. The Psalms of Ascent three times a year. The Jews were invited to go to Jerusalem, had to go to Jerusalem for the sacrifices. And so you can just imagine all these Jews arriving from out throughout Palestine, coming up Jerusalem to the temple. But Isaiah says it's the nations that are coming. In the Hebrew language, it's a word which is used to describe people other than the Jews, other than Israel. The other nations are coming up to Jerusalem. In fact, all the nations, it says, are coming. All the nations are arriving. You know, in reading the Old Testament, the promises of God were for his covenant people, the people of Israel, for one race. On occasion, we see people of other races joining in. The story of Ruth, the Moabitess. But principally, it was for the Israelites. Isaiah has a prophecy in the latter days, in the end times of the Messiah, where the nations will be gathering together in God's presence. There will be a worldwide conversion of the nations to worship God. A universal conversion. I need to add a point here, clarification. There are some who will take this text and refer to a universal salvation. Everyone's going to be saved. That's not true. There is, as the commentator says, an inclusive element in this text. People will be coming from all nations, all nations, just like we are here, gathered from all nations. But the commentator also adds that there is an exclusive element. There is only one mountain, one temple, one house of God. There is only one sacrifice for being at peace with God. And that sacrifice will be in Jesus Christ, Lamb of God. But come back to our text. So why are the Israelites, or why, sorry, why are the nations coming to the house of the Lord? Why do they come? Is it for the sacrifices? Is it for prayers? Is it for miracles? Or well, why do you come to church? For coffee and a cookie, right? We do enjoy our fellowship time. But we know that we're here to hear the word of the Lord and sing his praises. Just like in this prophecy. 
Verse 3. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. They're going up to Jerusalem, to the temple, in order to hear God teach them, instruct them, and guide them. The very reason for which we come to church. To listen to the word of God read, explained, and instructed. This prophecy of Isaiah, we need to connect back to Mount Zion. Again, you remember the stories, even the children. The Israelites came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea. They came to Mount Zion. And what happened at Mount Zion? The Lord was at the top of the mountain. The Israelites gathered around, and the Lord spoke to them. He instructed his people. He gave them his covenant word, the Ten Commandments. We have a return to the mountain to hear the word of the Lord. But the nations, all the nations have gathered. People of all nations have gathered to hear the Lord's instruction. They've come to hear the word of the Lord, not just his commandments, but all God's instructions. The covenant God who saves, who brings us out of the house of bondage, out of slavery, out of the slavery of sin, devil, and death. And he gives us instruction so that we may walk in his ways. But do the people commit that we may walk in his paths? Here is faith. Here's the word of the Lord. And that faith is living as it desires to walk in the paths of God, to obey the Lord. Isaiah highlights the source of this teaching. The end of verse 3. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It comes from Zion. It comes from Jerusalem. Why? Because this is where the Lord dwells. Revelation comes from the Lord God who speaks to his people. Verse 4, there's a bit of a change. It's a logical change in terms of what's being talked about. It's a logical change because if people from all nations come to hear God, and if people from all nations come and commit themselves to live as God desires, There's going to be a radical change in the way we live in this world. A way of righteousness and peace. And that's what Isaiah speaks about in verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. The Lord will indeed be the King of kings and Lord of lords. He will also be the judge to decide disputes and wars and put an end to them. He will establish righteousness and create peace. He will bring peace between those who were adversaries and enemies. And listen to the description of the peace. A wonderful description of peace. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. Swords for killing will become plowshares. That part of the plow that cuts into the dirt and turns it over so that you can plant seed, grow crops, and feed people. Their spears, used to kill people at a distance, will be turned into pruning hooks. Hooks are knives to prune vines, to cut off the excess growth, so that the vine will produce more grapes, more food. There's a radical change here. We go from war to food, from death to life. And not only will there be peace and prosperity, 
Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. We don't need an army just to keep the peace. We don't need any army at all. There will be no more soldiers because there will be no more war. Can you imagine listening to the news in the evening or on your podcasts or wherever you listen to news these days? And they never talk about a war. There's no war to report. Not a single conflict in the world. We can't imagine that. It is so incredibly different and awesome. And most of us here, I imagine, have not experienced war. Some of the elderly people here probably knew and experienced the Second World War, as my parents did. But we've been blessed not to go through war. You've watched movies about war. Pretty rough. Some people play war games, war video games. I don't advise it. My mother told us never to play with guns. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. The people of Israel in the days of Isaiah, they had a lot of war. Remember that odd, peculiar text in Samuel, 2 Samuel 11? It says, in the spring when the men went out to war. You know, when the spring comes here, we go out into the fields and start planting the crops, right? The spring came in Israel and the men went out to war. They always had war. You read the Bible and there's always a war. The time of Isaiah was war between Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Israel in the north was Syria, who went and conquered Judah in the south. And then the Assyrians conquered Assyria and Israel in the north, and then they came in and attacked Judah in the south. And besides that, there was war with the Philistines. There was war with Egypt. There was always wars. Could you imagine how these people of Israel felt when they hear this prophecy of Isaiah? There will no longer be war. You will not need to train an army for war. This is unimaginable. This is incredible. This is too good to be true. But it is true. It's the prophecy of God. Just a final quick word about verse 5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now you need to remember when Isaiah first wrote the prophecies, there was no divisions, no subtitles as we have in our translation here. There weren't even chapters and verses. So commentators always have a bit of a challenge. Where, where is there a change or transition? Should verse 5 go with the verses before or should it be attached to the verses afterwards? I believe we should attach it to the verses afterwards. Verses 6 and following, there is Isaiah who will reproach Israel, God's judgment against them. And here in verse 5, Isaiah is saying to them, Israelites, look, the nations are coming to worship God. Where are you? You need to come and walk in the light of the Lord. But let's come back to our text and have a clearer, fuller vision of what the Lord is putting before us. This is a vision about the latter days, about the end of the world. Oh, but it's not the end of the world. It's the beginning of a new world without end. Here is what the Isaiah is presenting before us. A world which will be absolutely glorious and incredible. A little bit like the stories we read to our children, right? Fairy tales, Cinderella, Snow White. How did they end? And they lived happily ever after. There's something in a fairy tale where they're trying to grasp what God is promising. And what is a fairy tale for children is truth for the children of God. 
God is going to have us live happily ever after in his world and kingdom of righteousness and peace. Here is the vision of Isaiah that he has of the new Jerusalem, and a vision which he will develop in later prophecies in chapter 9, 11, and particularly 66. But what Isaiah sees here, sees here on a prophecy of prophetic words, 700 years later, the apostle John will see in a vision, the book of Revelation, the apocalyptic revelation. And what does he see in the last chapters of the scriptures? He sees the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven upon the new earth. And there's no army. There's no curse. There's no sin. Instead of an army, there's a banquet. We will feast. Instead of death, there will be life. This is what the Lord is preparing for his people. But it's not just to come. It's already here. The kingdom of God has already come in Christ Jesus, Prince of Peace. We're on to our second point, foretaste of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's what theologians call realized eschatology. Eschatology, end times realize it's already real now. Something in the future is already here and present. Realize eschatology is a big word, so I like the word foretaste. We have a foretaste of the new Jerusalem. What's a foretaste? Or in our congregation in Quebec City, we have a lady called Uni. Uni makes marvelous cakes. Absolutely delicious. When she brings a cake to church, we're at church for coffee and cake. The night before Uni brings a cake into church, she's making it at home and putting the icing on. Icing with a lot of butter, not too sweet, just perfect. And Uni's daughter Mia is there. What does Mia do? She sticks out her finger to the icing. So good. You ever do that, kids? Mom's icing the cake or the muffins and stick your finger in there. Oh, it's so good. Can't wait to eat the muffin or the cake. That's a foretaste. We have a foretaste of God's kingdom, of his righteousness, of his peace in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ has come. In the latter days, as Isaiah said, Christ the Messiah has come. We celebrate his birth in just a few weeks. He lived upon the earth a perfect life. He did miracles of healing and life. He taught the way of life in God, in Christ Jesus. And then he died. And he rose. And he ascended into heaven. Into that heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion. He ascended into the presence of God where he sits at the right hand of God. In the holy Jerusalem. He sits upon God's throne of righteousness and peace. And what does our Savior do there, the Prince of Peace? He sends forth his word. He sends forth his word, revelation of God. He sends forth his spirit into the hearts of his heralds of the cross, preachers of the gospel, missionaries, evangelists. And they go forth and call the world to peace with God. Be reconciled with God in Christ Jesus. Herald to announce the forgiveness of all our sins, 
who declared to us the full righteousness of Jesus Christ, who declared that we are at peace with God and a foretaste of that eternal joy. Here's the foretaste, brothers and sisters, that he realized eschatology. Here's that lick of icing that God has given us in Christ Jesus. And we've seen it over the last 2,000 years, haven't we? Over the last 2,000 years, as we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the gospel has been preached from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, to Strathroy, where we can hear the gospel. We who come from all the nations of the world, we're like a mighty river flowing up to the presence of God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Well, you tell me there's still wars, Pastor Bernardo. Yes, there are still wars. We have a foretaste. It's not the full kingdom of God yet. There are still wars, but even in the wars, we can see something of God's grace and righteousness. We're no longer in the days when in the spring came, the men went out to war. We're no longer in the days of the barbarians where they would fight village against village every year, slaughtering one another. We do have times of peace and prosperity. And even in times of war, we care for the prisoners. We mend their wounds. We treat them decently. And because of our Judeo-Christian heritage, we don't practice infanticide. We refuse abortion and euthanasia. We take care of those who are handicapped and ill. This is a foretaste of God's righteousness and his peace. Some of you might be a little offended that I'm comparing the work of Christ to just a, a lick of icing. I'm not trying to diminish the work of Christ. I'm trying to give us a picture, brothers and sisters, of what is so much greater to come. As the full cake is so much better than just a little lick of icing. So the coming of Christ and all his kingdom and glory and power, the kingdom of righteousness and peace will be absolutely extraordinary. Something we can't imagine. Just too good to be true, but it is true. So brothers and sisters, stick out your finger and lick. Uni would have said to her daughter, Mia, hey, don't touch the icing, don't lick. But I'm telling you, stick out your finger and lick. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lay hold of Christ again. Receive the gospel as it's preached once again. Receive the full forgiveness of sins and peace with God our Father once again. Receive the righteousness of God and live in obedience. The peace that comes from obedience. Because we have come here in this church, in this congregation, in this assembly to Mount Zion. Prophecy of Isaiah here. This calling to gather up in the house of the Lord. Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. It looks back to Mount Sinai, the days of Moses. But it also looks forward to what we read in Hebrews chapter 12. That indeed we have approached in this assembly by the gift of the Spirit. We are indeed in Mount Zion. That we have gathered in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And the author of Hebrews says, so do not refuse to listen to it to his word we are here to hear the word of God as it is preached we're here for the foretaste of that new Jerusalem a city of righteousness and amazing peace 
And that brings us to a couple lessons for us this morning from this text. Three lessons about prayer, preaching, and peacemaking. As you already do, you pray for peace. You pray, thy kingdom come. Your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom of righteousness and peace. We pray that, don't we? And when we see wars and conflicts and strife and division, we need to pray again, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly into that new creation of perfect peace. But Lord Jesus, before you come quickly, give us a foretaste of your reign, of your kingdom. And so we pray for the end of war, pray for the war in Gaza, end of that bloody war, Ukraine. Pray for end of conflicts in our families, our neighbors, at work, in our churches. And we pray that God's kingdom would be preached, a kingdom of grace and peace. We seek to be peacemakers, that God would give peacemakers. You're already praying, I'm sure. Can I just exhort us to more prayer? If you're like me or anyone else, the war in Gaza raises a lot of questions and debates and what should be done and who is right and Israel or Gaza, the Palestinians, the Muslims or the Jews. And we talk and go on and on. And when we have personal conflicts, we talk about it and argue about it. And in our minds and our hearts, it just keeps going on and on. Brothers and sisters, if we took all that energy that we poured into our thoughts and disputes and arguments, if we poured all that into prayer before the throne of grace... Wouldn't we see more peace in our lives and in the world? Brothers and sisters, pray your kingdom come. And then preaching. We gather to hear the word of God each Sunday. This prophecy in Isaiah is a great call to worship, even evangelism. Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. Let us come and gather so that we may know the way of Christ and walk in the way of Christ. Commentator notes from this text, this is a mutual encouragement for us to gather for worship. A mutual encouragement to gather for worship. I'm sure it happens some Sundays you notice that, oh, such and such a member wasn't here or family is absent. It's been two Sundays we haven't seen them. I sure hope the elders have noticed and are going to call them. Why wait for the elders? You can call. You can text them. Send an email. You can simply say, hey, I haven't seen you at church. How are you doing? I'm praying for you. Probably don't need to say much more than that. They'll understand that they're missed. That you long to see them gather in God's house to hear his word with you. This text, this passage of prophecy is a call to mutual encouragement to gather. But it's also a mission text. It's a mission, a call, evangelism. Those who do not yet know the peace of Christ, those of all the nations of the world, please come and gather in to hear the word of God. More about that this afternoon in our second sermon. You are God's witnesses. To call in his people, sinners, to hear the gospel of peace. 
And if I might add, it's one reason I'm working in Quebec to preach the gospel there, but it's working at Pharrell, praying that God would give us preachers, evangelists, and missionaries. Train the men so that they will become heralds of the cross, heralds of Jesus, Prince of Peace. There's prayer, there's preaching, but there's also peacemaking. You remember that beatitude of Jesus? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. There is no greater privilege than to be known as a child of God. And that privilege is for peacemakers. Brothers and sisters, you have received the peace of God in Christ Jesus. Now walk in his ways and be peacemakers in this world. Some people have used this text as a call to establishing something of the kingdom of God on earth. As if we can create God's kingdom on earth and come into what we call a utopic world. A utopia, a perfect world. Very popular in the 17th and 18th century either as well as the 19th century romanticism. We can establish God's kingdom on earth. Perfect world. And all that human arrogant pride came to a crashing fall during the First World War. The whole world at war. And those who kept a bit of faith that no humans can create God's kingdom on earth, the Second World War put an end to it. We live in a disillusioned culture. We'll never have peace. No, but we can have a foretaste of God's perfect righteousness and peace in Christ Jesus. You see, the Second World War, First and Second World War, gave rise to the United Nations. Not all good in the United Nations. But they have taken this text in Isaiah that their swords will be turned into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks in order to bring peace. In God's mercy, even those who don't confess him desire to have something of his peace and righteousness in the world. But we need to be greater peacemakers. Yes, in the political realm, so when we elect deputies in our government, we need to ask them many questions, but also this question, what will you do for peace in the world? What will you do for world peace? But more importantly, brothers and sisters, in your own daily life, you need to be a peacemaker. Talking to my son a couple days ago, grade six, he told me he was a mediator. A mediator? What's a mediator? Well, him and a couple other classmates, they've been designated as mediators. So when they're out in the schoolyard and there's a dispute between a couple of classmates, they're supposed to intervene and bring peace. It's like, wow, I guess we need that in the schoolyard, don't we? Probably need it in the workplace. Sometimes in our families, in our churches. Brothers and sisters, you know the peace of Christ. You're a mediator. A mediator for peace. Now, that doesn't always mean you need to sit the people down and have them talk and work through their difficulties. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes a mediator is just a person who's going to go to the difficult person. The disgruntled person. Just sit down and have a coffee. Eat lunch with them, work with them, just love them. 
Let them see something of the peace of God in and through you. There might be other opportunities where you can get involved in the community services. I don't know what exists in your communities, but usually there's community services of helping single, uh, single, mother, uh, single mother families, or intervening with those with difficulties of mental health or handicapped, crisis call lines. Why? Where are the believers in those works? We can bring peace in this world through Christ Jesus. Oh, we'll never be the perfect peace. Won't be a peace that necessarily lasts forever. But it will be a foretaste, a, a lick of icing of God's peace in Christ Jesus. When the non believer says, That was so good, I'd like more. It's so good to live at peace with someone, I'd like more. Then you can say to them, Well, then come to the mountain of the Lord. Come to the house of God, so that he may teach us his way of peace in Christ Jesus, and we can walk in his paths of righteousness and peace together. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father, almighty God, we give you praise and thanks that you've given us a vision in this prophecy, a vision of what you prepare for us, a new Jerusalem of peace. Jerusalem, the golden with milk and honey blessed. Oh, sweet and blessed country, the home of God's elect. Oh, sweet and blessed country that eager hearts expect. Oh, Father, we expect eagerly the new Jerusalem. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And as we wait, Lord Jesus, for your glorious return, grant us a foretaste of your righteousness. Grant us a foretaste of your glorious peace. Forgive us our sins, we pray. Forgive us our disputes and our personal wars. Grant us to live at peace with God, but also with one another. And Father, as we hear the gospel of, preached, preached, uh, gospel of peace preached to us, may we indeed go forth to walk in peace. Lord, make us peacemakers in our homes, in our neighborhoods, schools and workplace, in our towns and communities. Help us all have a foretaste of God's peace just until Christ returns again in all his glory. Amen.